Chris, normally I start these things off uh, making fun of you. Instead, yeah. I would like to start this off making fun of someone else. What is the worst monster name you've heard in uh, D&D? Oh, God. Is it per chance Dolphin Delighter? It is now. It is now. Chris, uh, any interesting news we need to talk about this month? I don't. There, there's not a whole lot that happened in May. Um, the new book dropped that I literally yep. just had to purchase. Mordenkainen presents Monsters of the Multiverse. Yeah, so I just bought a book that from Monsters I already had. Except these are improved monsters. They're different, Chris, but they're the same. Oh, so the CR is actually correct. The monsters are well balanced, so they have a higher AC to make the game more challenging for players. And Chris, I didn't say that. that. I said they're different. Okay, so not better. Uh, I think they're, I mean, they are supposed to be more balanced, which brings the interesting idea of, so these monsters weren't balanced to begin with, so why did you say that the monsters were balanced when you first released this product? But, I mean, things change and adjust as the years go on, and you realize something that you thought was OP wasn't actually OP, or things of that nature. So, I can't blame them for wanting to update monsters Though, I mean, the, the the fixes aren't that impressive, and mostly it's towards spell casting that they fixed, where they just removed a huge bulk of spells and then gave them spell-like abilities that you can't counterspell. Great. Yeah. And also, like, a lot of creatures lost their out-of-combat utility spells because they're not in action to cast. Like, if something, like, amending takes a minute to cast, well, you can't put that under actions anymore. I guess we'll just remove it to keep the uh, the stat block looking nice and clean. So we've dumbed it down even further, is what you're telling me. Ah, uh, I don't know. I, that, that, for you, that's a yes. I, we've known each other long enough, I know that's a yes. You make me sound so... Trying to be nice. So mean and negative. No, it's just... I... All right, so we were talking about this before we started yeah. recording. I understand... They're doing this to make a buck. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> With um, all the recycled art, they obviously didn't spend that much money on it. Yeah, well, I really wish they would hire a decent art mm. department. Well, actually, I need to go back and um, fix a star spawn. I know. I did. I'm just, I was just dive. actually pulled up the uh, star spawn uh, Hulk. Yeah, the because they age. added pictures to all of them. And I think it's way worse than I could have even ever imagined. Like, they don't really look like, I don't know. Something about the Star Spawn monsters don't look right to me. I, for a long time, always wanted more artwork so I knew what they looked like. But then we got the artwork provided, and it's just, it almost looks cartoonish. Yeah, the Star Spawn Hulk looks like a skeleton shoved inside a humanoid shaped mold of jello. <laughs> Purple yeah. jello, grape jello. Well, at least they did grape jello. It's a different jello. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the artwork they did provide for the new ones. Like, even like the Star Spawn grew, just looks like a man with like some cuts and he has no lips and yeah. has, I don't know. It doesn't really do anything for me. And again, it looks cartoonish, which is fine if that's the art style you want. But literally nothing else in D&D has that art style. And so it just stands as like a stark contrast. Like if everything if everything else looked kind of like them, then it wouldn't be noticeable to me. But now it's just like they don't look like they belong. To use an example, like for our patrons that we do the stickers for quarterly, mm -hmm. we specifically use different artists to get different styles of art 
for creatures that they vote on to make a sticker out of. And I like that. I like one is kind of cartoonish, one is simplistic, one is incredibly detailed with a it's sort of like anime too, where you can there's different types of, you know, animation in anime that I like some, I don't like others. I mean it's like that for everything. But to mm. your point, yeah, if you have a different style of art for three monsters, it, it's, you know, it's Sesame Street. Which one of these doesn't belong with the others? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if, and to your point, if you roll, scroll down to the uh, Larva Mage, Lava Mage, Larva, it looks like art I would expect to see in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always, I mean, that was in Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. Mm-hmm. Rip. <laughs> but, uh, like, and I always looked at that and I was like, oh, Sturzbond is so freaking cool looking. And then I see... You know, the Gru, or the Hulk, or the Mangler, and I'm just like, I don't want you touching my table. Yeah. You're not that, uh, uh, I don't know. Well, I, that's something I wanna, I'm going to actually read more about when we're done here, is does Wizards of the Coast have a full-time, fully staffed art department? They have an art department for- art, Is it contractors, like everything else they do? Uh, It's both. The art department kind of does like interior things and uh, can also lead like the vision of what all art should look like. But then they contract out to a bunch of other uh, artists. Okay. And so so they might only have like one or two artists full time to do like small things here or there or to uh, to kind of rough out what they want for like big pieces. And then they'll have contracts for um, everything else. Because, I mean, it takes a long time to make art. Even if it's kind of more simpler art, like it still takes a long time. So you need contract contractors in order to to put out enough art to fill like something like the monster manual. Or in, you just hire an actual you hire people to staff an actual art department with the amount of stuff you're putting on, oh, yeah. and you know be able to pay them things like benefits and you know, well, health mean, insurance yeah. and things like that. You know, but like <laughs> Don't be they just they just made a million. They made TSR a billion. TSR did that, Chris, and look where they are. Gygax also did a mountain of coke and went to Hollywood trying to make a film. Well, they also cut Gygax out. Yeah, and then they were bought by a scam artist. <laughs> she was horrible, but we digress. <laughs> <laughs> there's two sides of that story, Chris. There's everyone else's, and then there's her story on yeah. it. I am looking forward to Gen Con coming again, and I hope that I can find... That was probably the most interesting... Uh, Panel. Oh, the rise and fall of TSR. Yeah, that was a fantastic panel. Uh, I'll leave a link to because the guy has a podcast. I'll leave a leap to it as well as that um, his episode on the rise and fall of TSR because it was actually interesting. I'm hoping I can find something that's just as good this year because most of them are it's hit or miss when you go to those. But that one, <laughs> I, that one stuck with me. I, I reference that a lot. <laughs> even bought my uh, my Gen Con badges. <laughs> I just bought the ones for our family this week, so I shouldn't see anything. So if you want, we you can just steal my daughter's. Back to, uh, so I mean, that's really like the big thing is the release of Mo- Mordekainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse, which is, that's like going back to like second edition with their titles, because there was like Monstrous Compendium, uh, Dark, or what was it? Ravenloft's Monstrous Compendium yeah. 3, Creatures of the Darkness. Yes. And it's just... And there, how many? There were like 12 of those? Uh, Monstrous Compendiums? Yeah. Uh, there was, I think, closer to like 20. Holy shit. Okay. Because you also have to think there's also the annual versions that they took from all of the Dragon and Dungeon monsters that appeared in oh, the magazine. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, which is, I think, four or five by themselves. There's mm-hmm. uh, one for Alkadim. There's one for... Actually, I think there's... Was there two for Dark Sun? Two for Dark Sun, because Dark Sun rules... 
Planescape had three, so suck it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Spelljammer, I think, had two. And then for, like, generics, there was, like, eight or nine. And then Ravenloft had three. There's another interesting thing I'm going to take a look at is the parallels between when Dark Sun came out and the whole Mad Max movies, because, I mean, it's got to be around the same time. 80s, it would have been the second movie, I think. And then Space Jammer, Spell Jammer, Space Jammer, Jesus. Uh, uh, the first Mad Max was 1979. Right. So, so it was about 10 mm, years before Dark Sun. Right. But no one really watched the first Mad Max. Mad Max, the second one, was big. And then there's Thunderdome. Oh, it was 1991 when Dark Sun came out. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then what, I wonder what Spelljammer for that was, if there's any correlation to the creation of it to the takeoff in sci-fi movies during that time. But I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. just interesting. Who knows? Yeah, not me. No, I, and we will go through the deep lore Spelljamming like we did last podcast. No, please. With the release of Morty Kanan Presents Monsters of the Multiverse, uh, from now on, we're just going to say Monsters of the Multiverse. What? And when we get tired with that, we'll just say Multiverse. And why does Morty get two books? There's so many other names out there. Well, to be fair, which nope. brings me to my second point, uh, this is the end of Volo's Guide to Monsters and Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. Or, as I kept uh, saying it when I first started, Mordekainen's uh, Time of Friends, Mordekainen's Tomb of Friends, Tomb of Foes, Mordekainen's uh, Friends of Time. Yeah, I could never figure foes. it out until I had to write it about a million times for uh, yeah, for our us. blog. That was so bad. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm going to take this monster out of the Friends of Tome and the Marty Kanan's something, something. But there's, I'm telling you right now, if they ever put out another book of spells, which they really should. Oh, yeah. It better be Bigby's. Bigby's book of fucking spells. I'm telling you right now, if it's not <laughs> Bigby's Bigby. big book of boom spells. Yes. What, what bombastic magic spells. Wait, was know. Bixby the one that had the, all those stupid spells that were like. Yeah. His like. His fisting fist, which let's not go there. <laughs> oh, there was Bixby's finger, right? Wasn't there one that was fingering? Yes, there was. He had like, I th- he had well over a dozen different spells that things he was doing with his hand. We'll leave that one. And fingers, apparently. Um, so oh, it was Otto. Otto. Wait, was Otto the one that was like. Irresistible dance, dude. Yeah, he had irresistible dance. That's like the big one that everyone knows. But he also had one where it's like. Was it like dancing tools or something like that where you could just summon a workshop for like an hour? Uh, there was another one where you could make your leather slightly stronger. Uh, this was when we actually cared about objects having hit points and armor class and things of that nature. Yeah, I know. Or at least the rules acted like people cared about them when I can't imagine that many people would track hit points on armor, especially when you're doing like fireball spells and things of that nature. Oh, it was on. You, I did. I did it back in the day. Yeah, you did? Wow. Yeah. What a nerd. I pretended. <laughs> At least I had, because I had a DM screen up and I looked like I was writing. And But yeah, so so that that, that is the end of Volo's Guide to Monsters and Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. It will no longer be printed again. Mm-hmm. And D&D Beyond has discontinued selling it. Though, fret not, if you've already bought it on D&D Beyond, you can still access it as legacy content. Um, they just not going to sell it to you anymore. Which which seems like a weird, like okay with printing I get it. There's already a book that covers everything. You you would have to keep up stock. You would have to like store it. Like there's a lot of cost, hidden cost involved mm-hmm. with having a book, multiple books that kind of have like duplicate information. Yep. You don't really have that on the internet. 
Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, I mean, th- really, if, if I'm being generous, then the reason they're doing this is because they don't want to confuse n- new people arriving to D&D when they get upset that they bought something that's already has all the same stat blocks, but either better or worse, depending on your perspective and which one you bought first. Wow, you're going to run for public office someday. Look at you. <laughs> Straddling the fence. Ambiguous democracy is what I say. Yeah. uh They've now stripped away. And there is nothing saying that you still can't use. They make it very clear and go over and over again. You know, if you choose to use this option. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm, Great. Which means get used to this option because this is where the game's heading. (laughs) Well, now it's for... It is for character creation with race, especially mm-hmm. with race, and now it's with the monsters. Yeah. yeah. Just to release the new fucking edition already. What? I don't want to be beta testing all this bullshit for them. There's a lot of people upset because for the longest time, like when Tasha's came out, it's like, here's the variant rules, the optional rules for character building, where we're not including ability score increases. People like, they're upset with it, but they're like calming down. It's like, all right, so not every race is going to be like this. This is just optional rules. This isn't yep. how every race. <laughs> nope. And now it's, <laughs> no, <laughs> there are no ability score increases for any monster. Uh, sorry, race. <laughs> I, I, I just think, ancestry. I, I think all players are monsters. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, and so, you know, they're upset because now the thing that they thought was optional is now being shoved down their throat. Like, they don't get a choice in it unless they tell people only the core books, only Volo's Guide and Mordekainen's. I sure hope you own, own the <laughs> legacy books yes. that no longer exist anymore. And you can't touch mine because now I think they're going to be worth money in 50 years. If I'm not, the world hasn't, you know, exploded by then. You know, there's a reason I haven't sold certain 5e books, even though I think they're awful is because uh i have the fancy cover on them and i'm like i bet i can make some money off of this in a couple more years i wish i had known that when i was you know 14 because i still have my all my one ebooks and if i don't pick them up gently they're gonna crumble into dust well you're a kid you didn't know any better at least i know i got good use out of them i mean i have notes in them i have like all sorts of crazy shit written in there so i got a good use out of them well and 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 you said something where it's released the new edition. So everyone knows 2024, there's supposed to be an update to D&D. And what they've done with Mordecai and Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. <laughs> I'm not even, I haven't even attempted to say that. I'm impressed you just did that. So, uh, Well, I'm, you know. You're practicing before. I have certain skills and none of them are useful in, a, in life beyond saying that word, I guess. <laughs> where a lot of, I mean, 5e has a ton of new players. They've never experienced the joys of an edition war. Mm-hmm. So in 2024, when the new edition or 0.5 or 50th edition or whatever you're going to call it. I mean, Watsy's just going to keep calling it Dungeons and Dragons and let you know it's always backwards compatible from now on until the yep. until they can't milk any more money out of this dead cow. And so we're going to see people experiencing edition wars for the first time. And, like, I wonder what that's going to be like in two years when people are, like, you know, like, there's going to be armies forming. People are going to be fighting in forums. It's going to be, like, devastation. It's going to be wonderful. It's just, I just picture one little bitch slap fight going on with people. Yeah, it's the world is yeah, horrible well, now. Because the issue is they're going to be, like, all these, uh, all the books coming out are backwards compatible. You can use it with uh, Pathfinder, or not yeah. Pathfinder. <laughs> Right you now, can yeah. use it with the player's handbook and the dungeon blend, blah, blah, blah. But all the new adventures that will be coming out will not be... The... You can convert them yourselves. Yeah. Well, well, it's like... And like people will be like, well, I'm upset because 
All of these use the new rules. I don't want the new rules. They're not backwards compatible unless I do a lot of work to already fix them. And it already takes a ton of work to run one of these books. Mm-hmm. And there's and then other people are going to be like, too bad. Start using the new rules. They're better than they were beforehand. And people are like, no, I like my the way my yeah. AC works. Because apparently in my example, we're going to Thacko. And it's yeah, and I was just actually it's funny you say that because every edition, well, with one minor exception. So that was the one e to two e. It was Thacko. It was basically yeah. the same damn thing, and except Thacko. And well, they was had like, Thacko what? in first edition. It just wasn't as big of a yeah, no one thing. It was, yeah, attention to it. Yeah, it was like an optional rule. Yeah, and for all the all the yelling and screaming about it, it's actually kind of a easy thing to figure out it's just a pain in the butt it made no sense no one used it in one e because you didn't didn't need it yeah well and also it's like every time i remember how to do it and then like like a week later i forget like yeah. how does that go work again let me remind myself if i wanted to use mathematical formulas i'd go back to school so there was that three was a huge shift so there was a there was a there was a cataclysm almost of players of like holy crap yeah this is not the game we played mm-hmm. um, why is everyone becoming superheroes Right. Yeah, because three definitely was that shift where mm-hmm. characters would become superheroes. Right. It, you were you were now meant to be the hero of the story yeah. and live forever and kill everything yeah. in sight. Versus uh, have a backup character in your pocket at all times because well, DMs hate you and they're going to try and kill you. Yeah, and, and the fights were and, fair. One <laughs> e and two e, you you didn't get your power from getting stronger levels. I mean, you got more magic hit points. Items. Instead, it was the magic items you would get, and so there's a huge focus on getting mm-hmm. better and better magic items. Yep. yep. No, I agree with that. So there were, and a lot of people that I've talked to liked three and three point mm-hmm. five. They thought it was great. They liked yeah. the direction it went into, and then they did four, and that's the outlier because. Now people will say, now it's cool to say, oh, 4 had a lot of positive things for blah, blah, blah. Back then people were like, this is a hot mess inside a gu- yeah. dumpster fire. It what, is did you do? what did you do? <laughs> Baby's first World of Warcraft game. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've always liked 4 e so, yeah, so I guess I'm just people. one of those people. Well, but you never, you weren't, were you alive when 4 e came out? You yes, it came out in 2010. All right, I didn't get a chance to play 4 e you weren't into you weren't into D&D. No, no, I didn't right? get into D&D until like uh 2015, so a year after 5E came out. Right. And so, like I remember reading through 4E books when I was trying to like get into like 5E and all that stuff and liking what I was reading. Right. So and kind of wishing my fighter was less boring and I spent most sessions trying to figure out ways to kill my fighter because I didn't realize I could just talk to the DM and be like, "Hey, can I switch characters?" Yeah. I have to, he must die for me to play next, and then you realize the game is about superheroes, and it's hard to kill them. And and see, and there's the difference. People will, and that's going to be the problem with Five E. The fights are internal; they take place between the people that are playing when the change happens. Mm-hmm. So they split into two camps, like you said, and it's a civil war. Five E has brought so many new people into the fold that D and D is mainstream. Everybody will agree with that. Yep. There is an explosion of people. It is not two nerds sitting in one of their basements with mics arguing about things back and yeah. forth. That's us. And um, now it's news stories that football yeah. players or whatever are going to play the Cleveland D&D Browns, for yeah. something or another. And it's just like, wow, this is yeah. a weird world. So when, <laughs> the, when there's a new edition comes out, there's a whole hell of a lot more people that have to fight about it. Yeah. 
it'll just be it'll mirror what our country is today. So <laughs> you 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 started uh, the the twenties, right? <laughs> there was electricity. Uh, that's, oh, okay. I remember that. No, I started with a uh, I started with one e. I mean, I have the the O D and D. I have mm-hmm. two of the books. So um, you started with one e. Did you transition to two e, or were you a poor kid and couldn't afford two e books? And so your side of the edition war was one e. I played a little 2e but i also went to college and then did copious amounts of drugs and alcohol so i didn't really play anymore i read a lot of 3.5 but never really played it didn't know 4 existed i thought it just went from 3.5 to 5 that makes sense they were finally counting basic in their numbering structure (laughs) yeah exactly actually Um, really if you're counting all the books i think this is like 12th or 13th edition who knows? Because uh, there were multiple versions of... Well, actually, there was one 1.5e, basically. Two, and then 2e.5, 2.5e. And then there was all the different versions of basic. There was the original. And then so there was a supplements, which you can kind of count as, like, original 0.5. So you're counting, like, basic, expert, immortal, Well, no, no. Whatever. There's There's the 1977, the 1979, the 1981 versions. And then I think there was also like a 1990 oh, yeah, version. Yeah. And then 4E even had, so there was 4E. And then at 2010, there was like a 4.5E uh, with the Essentials line. And so it's a huge mess. And then D&D Next is somewhere crammed in there. Yeah, yeah. D&D Next is in between 4.5 and 5. But that's a cool one because it didn't have a number. It just got, it was next. Yeah, it's um, the next one. Is it, they're going to be, is 5.5 going to be first name D&D upcoming? I mean, what the fuck is it going to be? I think be? they're just going to stick with D&D for all future products and just be like, it's backwards compatible with the original ones. not. They don't a- even call this edition 5e. That's kind of more of what we've thrown onto 5e. Whereas, I mean, like, they'll say, like, this is, like... Fifth edition does Yeah, like, like, in, like, the legal stuff, like, they'll talk about it being fifth edition, or, like, you need a... Like, you can't call it Dungeons & Dragons, you can call it, like, fifth edition, whatever. They're just gonna keep calling it D&D. And it'll mm-hmm. be up to the fans to come up with our own terms for it. It will be fascinating to see what happens when they do it. And, and to your point, I, when I got back into D&D, we did a fifth edition. I love the simplicity of it. And for someone coming back that is relatively brain dead, I needed simple to get back into the game. But now I've put, after playing for years, I do miss the nitty gritty details sometimes. I, you know, I, simplicity was great to get people into the game. I would even now, say 5e is a little bit simple. Compared to uh, so compared many to other e, games. Yeah. Compared to so many other games out there, 5e is crunchy. True. But I'm comparing it to 1e. <laughs> okay. Which, um... Oh wow! It just I, I think I should do the next. You don't uh, like tables? My next article, I think, would just be. Uh, I have to do an article Friday. I didn't know what I was going to write about. I'm going to pull like three tables out of one e and try and explain them to people, Ooh. and then lose my mind. I'll, it'll just be babble at the end of it with me because my brain will have melted. It's just know. bizarre. I mean, we've done a, a mini deep dive, a quick dive, uh, explaining monster stat blocks from uh, first edition, right? Ooh, you know, I could. We'll do, link that. <laughs> I could do psionics. Ooh, no, hey, Chris, it's it's meant to make your brain explode. It will. <laughs> you know, I keep no thinking logic. we need to do a deep dive on like the psionics of each no, we edition. Don't. We don't. We really, really don't. I'm not. I'm not participating in that. <laughs> but Chris, <laughs> no, no. Uh, all right. So we have. Yeah. It, it. I think it'll be interesting. I will try and reserve judgment until I read it. But. What I've seen so far of what the groundwork they're laying, I'm hoping there's more than... Yeah. Well, I'm hoping fighters will all get Battlemaster maneuvers, so then they're a little bit less, I I hit things. 
I hit things again. Oh, look, for the at level 20, I hit things again. Hard. I, I, I do it harder. I roll yeah. the dice harder. Chris, our main topic for this podcast, after a very long discussion about Edition Wars and Morning Canaan presents Monsters of the Multiverse. We do tend to go down the rabbit hole, don't we? We are talking today about uh, kind of common things that you, you might face with your players who not necessarily min-max, but rather play the game well. Like if you got uh, a lower level character <laughs> who has plate armor and a shield, their AC might be 20, which is kind of difficult to hit, especially with low CR monsters. And then there's other things where people have very, very strong builds. Like they might have the ability to fly if they're an Aarakocra or one of the sprite things. Uh, they could have really high perception, which kind of defeats most traps. They could have save suck spells once they get to higher levels. Or even low levels, like the sleep spell is kind of a save or suck spell. Yes. Dealing lots of damage or attacks each round. And maybe you gave just a couple of more magic items than you might have wanted to for your group. No. that No. Never enough magic items. So we'll, we'll go ahead and start at the beginning with high AC characters. There's a lot of discussions. You know, people post a lot about like i'm having issues trying to hit this one character like everyone else i can hit what can i do to try and like even the odds um chris i'll I'll, I'll let you go first before i I bulldoze over your argument and tell you you're wrong don't give him any gold (laughs) (laughs) all of this is the dm's fault you can just prevent all of this by not letting it happen it's called rust monsters (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah not in this edition it's not now that's primar- primarily a player. Wow, I, my lips don't work. I would agree that this is not a good thing. Let me start there. I don't like players that have... I don't like any of these, really. I don't, but high AC, yeah, totally unfair advantage. At the beginning, I mean, first off, no one can afford... it. A character creation, no one should be able to afford plate mail, period. Yeah, yeah if plate is like 1,500, so yeah. that's like level five. Yeah, really. if you're doing that, then that's... Sorry, it's on. that's on the DM shoulders. You probably should know better than do that. Yeah, it should be level five, but I know plenty of people by level three that have plate. Hey, issue. Chris. Yeah, I know, I did. <laughs> I loved it. It was fucking great. Someone didn't tell me they didn't have the strength to carry plate. I did. <laughs> Son of a bitch. You got, you're never going to let that one go. I told you. Anyways. Anyways. But the way to counter someone with high AC, maybe you didn't realize an animated armor. When you destroyed it, its armor was too broken to actually be used as plate armor like I did when I first started DMing. I didn't realize that that armor couldn't be used anymore by a player. And I allowed a certain player to wear plate from an animated armor. And yeah, he, he had an 18 to 20 AC doesn't make a difference the way i roll i still got hit all the fucking time well you don't have to roll when i hit you oh i would miss and then you would roll lie and hit me because you were mad and petty <laughs> yeah you see you see that's the first way to <laughs> to avoid high ac armor is apparently to lie at them roll behind the screen <laughs> well, i mean a- shit half the players oh that's cocked re-roll i mean i, you, I think you're missing the boat on that one <laughs> i think we're opening fresh wounds in chris's past no i just i love the guys at our table right now but holy shit there's a lot of re-rolling going on exactly how crooked does a die have to be <laughs> goes a re-roll is it is it a 
monumental shift in the tectonic plates of the planet or is the fact that it hasn't quite stopped rolling yet but i know it's going to land on a one so it's cocked and i scoop it up it just cracks me up i i, I feel like i've only had Chris, like, that happen twice good good son <laughs> oh my god so hi, hi ac common counters to it certain monsters and the first things that pop in my head are specific monsters acid attacks magical weapons for the monsters or certain spells yeah, yeah, you can cast magic weapon on on monsters. That way, your players don't get a bunch of magic weapons when you fight them. But it does give the monsters a bonus to to their own attacks until someone hits their uh, right. Is it the wizard or the cleric that casts it? I think it's the cleric. Maybe I think so. I think you're right. See, the, and there's the thing: DMs won't. It requires work on your end as a DM. Take acid, for example. I don't even know if in this edition it used to be if you got acid hit with it. Does not yeah, if you got hit one. with an acid attack in earlier editions, I think like in one E and two, I don't know about three point five. It would confused. It but... would damage. It would damage your armor. It would damage your weapon. See, it could make it useless. This now, is the problem with people who play too many editions. Acid. They get all the rules mixed up. Well, it should be that way. I don't understand why it's not. It's <laughs> fucking acid, dude. It's a lot to keep track of. I'm going to throw it no. in your eyes and see how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> My eyes are made out of metal. <laughs> yeah, you have bionic eyes now. That's cool. A common way besides using an acid. old rule from first edition. Hey, homebrew's my, homebrew's is, my, my jam. Uh, is targeting saving throws. Just because they have a great AC does not mean that they're going to have great saving throws. Find out mm -hmm. what their lowest save is and, like, don't abuse it against them. Like, still throw a couple of enemies that are going to hit and bang against their armor so they feel good about making that choice. But also use enemies that are going to use spells that require saving throws. And uh, a knight in heavy armor probably doesn't have the greatest decks. Make them make a deck save against a fireball. You know, a barbarian who somehow has like really high stats for its natural armor. Hey, make them make a wisdom save. They're not going to have that good of a wisdom uh, compared to everything else. Or intelligence saves, charisma saves. Those are a little bit rarer, but I mean that's still a good way of targeting around them. And so you know, as a DM, uh, I would recommend like. Ask your players for their characters. Yes, I know. I know. And look at what their saving throws are. Look at what their AC, their to hit, that type stuff. And you can kind of pick monsters that that also showcase how great their AC is by just landing hit, uh, like miss after miss trying to hit this one character, but then have another monster in the fight that's really good at hitting their like their weakest saving throw. The spellcaster in the back. I mean, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or magic missile. That doesn't require anything. You yeah, just yeah. hit them. Yes. So spells. Spell, mm -hmm. I think, granted, now to your point, there's a lot of uh, abilities monsters will have that can do exactly what you're saying. But yeah. primarily, spells are a good way to counter that. I agree yeah. with that. When, when I like when I build monsters, I like to give them something that they can attack with, something that they can attack with at range, and then also something that, can, that they can use to force saving throws. Mm -hmm. Because then you're kind of hitting everything. You're hitting a character with low AC, or you can hit someone that's far away, or if they have really, really good AC because they're a good tank, you throw a saving throw at them, but they're not always going to be good at that saving throw. And so that's just like another way of doing it. Plus, oftentimes, saving throws, you still take half damage, even if you succeed. You know, you're still doing a little bit of damage. You're still expending a little bit of their resources. And just because it's not as much damage as you might hope for, it's still a little bit of damage. And, like, if you stack enough of those, like, they will get concerned about their dwindling hit points. So that actually brings me to something. Rewind a second, because you brought up a point. 
character creation. I don't understand sometimes when we would start a campaign how people had the stats they had compared to the stats I had, and we were using the same way to, you know, point by's point by. You can't, now, granted, most people are like us, unless you're a wizard, it's intelligence that you're going to dump. I, so many people do it. They, that would be something I would like to see fixed. Yeah, big um, dumb heroes. Yeah, I would like to see that fixed in the next edition. Iteration, thank you. Yeah, in D&D, I'd like to see it fixed in D&D, the... One that you don't have to retcon. Um, so, well, it's intelligence or charisma is really the the two yeah. that get tossed. Yeah, it's. Though I have met a character that tossed their constitution. Uh, they didn't survive very many yeah. sessions. So it felt bad. It's one of those things where, and I think it's going to actually get easier for players to manipulate their stats that they're looking for and and or harder for a dm to find those things to counter it whether Mm. it be monsters or spells now because of how you can create a character now you don't have to be like oh i'm playing x class so i probably should go with x race so that i can get the proper bonuses that come along with that to maximize my character now it's just like no, nope. I'm going to be a Yanti, so I have spell resistance. Yeah, uh, I would like to be a halfling barbarian because I think it's fucking hysterical. You know, ah, you can't use heavy weapons at that point, though. Yeah, sure you can. I bet you you can in the in D and D non recon version. Um, Maybe. Yeah, that's you know good. you could. It, th- I don't know. That's a whole nother issue. Let's not go down that one. But it'll be easier. <laughs> You're trying to for... pull us back into our first conversation. Yeah. So. But to your point, yeah, Take please look at your character sheets. I remember we were sitting at a table, and one of the guys, you were just like, hey, you know, I need to see everyone's character sheet. I want to take a look. And one of them was like, no. It's like, Wait, what? <laughs> Come on, you got to. No, I'm not going to show you my character sheet. It's I don't like, remember that. Um, was this an AL? No, this was here. We don't play with that gentleman anymore. Uh, <laughs> He's probably worried I was going to roll a save for him. Yeah, it was like, you can't say no. I, at least I didn't think you could. Even if you can, then I've been playing this game wrong the whole time. <laughs> I don't think that's a one. That's a 20. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. I'm reading the dice from below the table. My DC is 48. <laughs> I don't know how I got there. Oh, actually, that'd be great. I just had the idea where you have a glass tabletop, and when you roll a D20, it's like, actually, I'm reading it from below, and it's a 20. <laughs> it should it, it, the rolling dice at our table it really should be like that where you just kind of kind of fire it in like you ever play foosball uh-huh. and like it goes in and you can't touch it it has a glass thing or not even foosball what is the game I'm thinking of anyways you shoot it in there and the die just eventually will stop nobody can touch it and then if it doesn't you can have something like to whack it with to like re-roll it so no one can just scoop it up and roll <laughs> anyways um, and I know they're not lying it just cracks me up I mean I think they know where to throw the dice <laughs> Table. It's my table. Maybe I should learn. I well, there's a rule in Warhammer where um, I don't know if it's still in there, but basically, like if your die when you go to roll something and your dice falls off the table, you automatically fail because if you can't hit like a five by eight table, then how's your space marine <laughs> supposed to hit uh, a living creature? Or I something like, that. like that. I actually like that. To counter high AC, target saving throws. Use spells that that you know, can kind of avoid AC hitting the, and also make sure that you're still showing off that they have a high AC by making sure there's minions in there to right. feebly ping off their armor. Right. So t- 
do the opposite of what players want to do. Yeah. Don't try and hit things hard to take away hit points. Use other spells to have them fall asleep, like you said, to yeah. take a disadvantage on their next hit. Those kind of spells. That- and, and you can also use the terrain against them because a shield takes an action to dawn mm-hmm. or to doff. If you have someone that's high up that forces them to have to climb, they have to take off their shield. They have to stow their weapon. Then they have to climb up a ladder. They can't climb a ladder while still having a shield and their weapon out, per the rules of the game, and basically in real life. And so they have to spend that time. Are they going to spend an action donning their shield once they get up there? Probably not. They're going to go in there and try to hit things because they're tired of not doing anything on their turn besides climbing a ladder. Mm-hmm. And so now you've already dropped their AC by two points. Yep. Which le- But there's a way around the- that, which leads into the next topic. What if I don't need to climb a ladder because I can fly? Flying creatures. <laughs> Such bullshit. <laughs> well, we all know how Chris feels about it. I That was one of the things when I first started playing it. I'm like, you can't fly in the beginning. You, there's no flying in baseball. Know, you don't no, like Aarakocras. <laughs> no one says Aarakocras can't play basketball. No, yeah, but... N- Wow, we are mixing our movie metaphors quite poorly. It, it's not just, it used to just be Birdman. Now it's not. And I feel bad for the Kinku because, man, it's a bird and it can't fly. But that's beside the point. Well, that means that you like that bird, right? Yeah, but he can't talk either, which is kind of stupid. <laughs> so now you have the Owlin. Yeah. You have the Fairy. Okay. The Aarakocra. So Please we have see. the Owlin, the so Aarakocra. three characters, three. And the Fairy. Right. No one gives a shit if you can swim and hold your breath because no one's ever on the water. Yeah. So there's three characters, right? There's three yeah. types. Yeah. Does anybody ever play a turtle? I have. A, I had a turtle I in my level one to twenty campaign. I ran. I think I want to play a turtle. That is an unfair advantage because uh-huh. at yeah. lower levels from the C and I looked this up once from CR zero to two. First, there are very few flying monsters, mm-hmm. and why do B, keep yeah, and B, or the not many monsters utilize ranged weapons. Mm-hmm. How the hell are you going to hit a flying creature? Well, and there's not a lot of spellcasting either. I would always give monsters short bows, long bows, or anything like that, just because it they need a ranged option. And just because the stat block doesn't say they have a short bow doesn't mean they can't have one. Or maybe they're just a giant and they're just chucking rocks. Always make sure your monsters have ranged options. The other thing is give them some of the like battle maneuver fighter abilities like where they can force a strength save or you get knocked prone. If you're a Aarakocra, a fairy, owl, and whatever, and you get knocked prone up in the air, you fall. And that's a lot of feet to, to go before you hit the ground where you then get falling damage. Now, granted, we're playing Pathfinder, but yeah, you were pretty pissed when I actually hit one of your flying creatures and knocked them out of the air i loved that that was we're, we're not talking about that sadness was, in my heart that was a, that, that was a fun that was a fun moment in my life so um, you see like that's a good way to keep them out of the air mm-hmm. is doing that like don't do it for every combat don't do it for every encounter they have but like it is a good way to make them fear going too high up in the air for how much damage they might take. There is a variant rule in Xanathar's where they reduce the amount they fall by their flying speed. So if they were up 30 feet and they have a 30 foot flying speed and they fell prone, then they wouldn't take any damage. Which, you know, that's a good way to keep low level uh, characters alive. Because if they were 50 feet up, then instead of taking 5d6, they would only take 2d6 because they minus their fly speed from it. Okay. So like, it still gives them a little bit of fear about flying too high up and avoiding attacks. I read I read something once. It was, it was interesting. 
there was, it was on Reddit. It was this big long debate on flying characters, mm-hmm. and one of the person was making the argument. They're like, "Look, why can't I fly up? Fly up out of range. I fly 130 feet in the air. Most things have a 120 foot range. Let's just say mm-hmm. that the that the creatures I'm going to be fighting have." They can't hit me. What's the, Why can't I hit them? It's not like it's out of range. I'm firing downhill. I'm firing from the sky. I'm firing down. It should be easier. And there's this big, long debate on it. The thread was long. And f- there was, it finally got to the end of the thread. And someone came on. It was like, it was, you know, it was just like, because it doesn't have anything to do with like how far it is at that point. It's aim. <laughs> Can you aim at that distance, even though it's going downhill? And they kind of shut down the whole argument. So it was like, yeah, just be, it's not like you're pushing a boulder down the hill and hoping it hits shit. It's, yeah. If you're shooting an arrow, you kind of have to aim at things. There's, I don't know, there, it just doesn't seem fair. Well, the, the other thing you can do to kind of counter flying creatures is terrain. And, you know, keep kind of going back to terrain. If they are in five foot corridors, kind of hard to fly. Dungeon dive, yeah. You're gonna. This if, is dungeon diving campaign. If they're in like, if there's only like twenty foot ceiling here, well, that's fine. They can fly around. Maybe they can avoid the small or medium sized creatures. You throw a large sized creature. Now that large sized creature can threaten them up in the air and just like beat the shit out of them and like maybe throw them against a wall or something. And so then at that point you're using, you know, like they can avoid the little minions. They feel good. Hey, I, I'm not getting hit by those guys. Oh, but the large creature can really hit me. And I'm kind of like, you know, like he doesn't have to worry yeah. about hitting his allies. He can just focus on his attacks against me. And so there's kind of like a trade off here and there. And so really kind of using, um, you know, the terrain is is like a major um, a major counter to flying. So is it wrong of me to say, oh, I think weird things. I think I've been hanging out with you too long. Say you're in a campaign that's outside. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've been we don't do it that much now but it used to be weather i mean weather conditions were a thing we'd have to check the weather every day so would you I, just... I try to in, uh, include the weather but i don't do it very often just because i don't i don't want it to be a frustrating game mechanic right and i get it i mean it's it yeah i, I understand that but if you have a flying character why not just every day you roll the weather and you roll behind the screen you're like mm-hmm. okay so it's going to rain today and it's going to be thunder showers and you have your flying characters just roll d100 and if they get like a one or a two they get struck by lightning i like that okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> i thought you were going with something else no i'm i'm going with struck by lightning well i'll keep your weather idea and say like maybe there's high gusts up uh mm-hmm. when, when you fly too high for that day and so now they have to make saves or else they are, um, you know, pushed way off course. And, yeah. like, they have forced movement against them. Like, they have to move 20 feet in a specific direction. Maybe not that big of a deal. Maybe it could be a big deal. Yeah, it was the when I hit your character is... with a gust spell in our game. Because the, it it it's Pathfinder. And one of the things you can do with a gust spell is knock someone prone and they were in the air. You know, stop <laughs> making fun of me for, for that. But, yeah, like, like the gust spells could knock them prone. Yeah. And then they fall. Yeah. Or if it's heavy rain, then maybe after 30 feet, it's... Uh, every creature is heavily obscured to mm-hmm. the flying creature. And so, yeah, the creatures on the ground can't see them, but you can't see any of the other creatures. And so you're effectively just firing your your longbow blind. Now, with the mechanics of 5e, it means there's it's just a flat roll because they, you have advantage on the attack because they can't see you, but then you have disadvantage because you can't see who you're firing. But if you're 30 feet up or more in a massive thunderstorm, there's no way you actually know where the enemy is. And so well, at that point, I'll tell the player, like, no, you can't hear anything down there because there's 
lightning and thunderstorms, you need to fly closer so you can actually see them. Okay, you you lost me when you started talking all these like nitty gritty mechanics, but I get your point. Um, no, so okay, sounds great. No. The other so, the thing that keeps popping in my head out before we move on to the next one is okay, flying. That's why Superman's the badass superhero that he is, and no one gives a shit about Aquaman because great, he can swim. <laughs> I'm thinking like no one takes a Triton. Who gives a fuck if you can hold your breath? All right, so what's next that you uh, that you hate about we players? Have, I don't hate. <laughs> High characters, not players. Or, you know, in general, high skills. But high perception seems to be the the most troublesome for especially newer GMs where it's like, the guy has a 20 perception at level three. I can't like I can't hide traps from him. He sees all the monsters that are hitting. Like, what can I do? I mean, at that point, you can tell I, I think people have a different idea as to how traps should work. The way traps should work is perception is to notice something is wrong with the room. And then you use investigation to figure out how the trap works or how to disable it. But that doesn't actually disable the trap until you make like a thieves tools check or a sleight of hand check to disable the trap. And so when you give so much weight to perception or like one skill, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're, you're going to face issues when they min-max that one skill and make it so much better than all the other skills. Right. But you can also give it to them. Like traps can be mean especially and and i don't like using traps very often except as like kind of set pieces and so yes i have no problem letting someone with a high perception see a trap that doesn't mean they understand how the trap works how it sets off or even how to disable it they're just like oh there's something weird with this floorboard we should investigate that Mm -hmm. and now they have to use investigation to go in and figure out how that trap works. And it's so much more interesting for the players to try and figure out how the trap works as opposed to just, yeah, the trap went off and you take nine damage. Yeah. Okay. First, make sure you put a link um, in the notes to at least one or two articles written about traps, and on, which are uh, great because yes. they are they're very underutilized. I'll right leave now. a link to uh, how to design traps that I wrote. And then also we did a, um, a Thieves Tools yes. uh tool thing which has traps and locks and ways to make them interesting that also leave a link to so yeah because sorely underutilized in this edition Mm -hmm. and they are you know what i don't give a shit about a riddle i don't care don't give me riddles give me a good trap well you see it's easy for me to come up with a trap that screws you over but with a riddle i also have to be like oh i don't like riddles let me google riddles real quick (laughs) let me get on the internet so here's my question to you uh, with with this. Is it your responsibility as the DM? Let's say I used a trap. I might have used it in the really brief, the one shot we did, but I know I've used it before in the past. So you go open a room. You open a door. You go into a room, simple room, not yeah. a treasure chest in the middle of it. It's not a mimic. Oh, that's but not a good trap then. When you go into the room, the, ac- the action of opening the door sets it off. So when you go in the room, the door is spring-loaded. Once the first person steps through threshold, the door closes and the room starts filling with sand because I'm a dick. Um, and this does not sound like a trap I've done before. Yes, I've done it. No, no, no I'm saying it was oh, me. You, yeah. I think I might have done in that one shot we did on the uh, yeah that wizard tower thing. I was trying to figure oh, out. Oh, okay. Do you feel as a DM it is your duty or responsibility to be like okay? You're at a door, closed door, you're going to the room. Do you feel like you should, say, make a perception check before they open the door? Or is it the onus on the players to be like, closed door, hallway, can I check the door? I would say with 5e, use passive perception. 
And a different system, like Pathfinder 2e, I try and keep uh, perception skills, and I'm responsible for rolling your perception check mm-hmm. against the trap. In which case, you know, that's what I compare. Is if I know there's a trap somewhere, then I'll use your passive perception, or I'll roll the perception, whatever, depending on what game we're playing. And if you fail, you fail. Um, in which case, I'm not going to tell you anything weird about that door unless you specifically ask me, hey, is there something weird about this door? Or like, I want to look at the door and see if there's any traps. In which case... Even if I've already rolled for you or I've already compared your uh, your perception DC, you are, as a player, specifically actively looking right. at the store. It's in which not case, passive. <laughs> yeah. You you now get to make your own check. Okay. And See, and, and, and so that's, that, that's how I typically do it. I don't just like, well, actually, I'm using your passive, so you don't need to roll. But I'll let you roll just so then you think you have control over your, your right. life. I, uh, okay. I can appreciate that because... You know, passive perception was something that was new to me. Mm-hmm. I never knew what the fuck passive perception. You know what it is. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what the hell you used it for because it, that's how it worked. The onus yeah. was on the players. Yeah, You'd it's be- really. I, I I like it as a mechanic in Five E. That's um like passive wait, wait, skills. What? You wait. What? There are things I like about Five E, Chris. Okay, let me start the list. Okay, I'm adding it to the list. One <laughs> passive perception. Uh, no, I I appreciate that because. It, it did bog the game down a little bit, but it also made the... You didn't want a 10-foot pole? Like, <laughs> all right, I check the first 10 feet. I check the second 10 feet. Yeah. And then how... It, the 10-foot pole... The invention of the collapsible 10-foot pole is a good thing. Explain to me how you swing a sword while a 10-foot pole is strapped to your back you... with a backpack filled with 100 pounds of shit in it. <laughs> I'm not going to get sidetracked. Never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about ladders and 10-foot poles. Yeah, no. <laughs> Anyways... So yeah, the onus was more on the player to be to be like closed door. Hmm. I need to check it. There was no the DM tells me anything. It was sort of like, hey, the most the, the hint was the door's closed. You mm-hmm. know, it was like okay, but it also. I mean, I grew up where doors were constantly closed, so I would assume face? every door <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyways, uh, now I feel bad. No, but it. It also gave the thief, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a rogue in 5e. <gasps> um, yeah. You know, gave them something to class. do. Because, I mean, really, when does how often in a, in, a, in a campaign does the thief get to say, I'm using my thieves' tools? Mm-hmm. You know? There were traps. Thieves had to actually do stuff. They had to disarm. They had There were a lot of things that they did because they didn't have sneak attack. There was no walking up and going, wink, 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 someone's back. And this is a podcast and so no one saw my awesome hand gestures. But it gave, the, it was it was something that let them do things that were outside of combat that made them feel important. I appreciate what passive perception does now because I'm sure I'd have been dead 15 more times than I actually have been dead with my characters. But I think that's a good idea. Anyways, that's traps. So with perception, high perception, you know, like use other skills to to try and, you know, to counter it, but still give them things for their high perception. They're they're investing in it and it should pay off. It's weird because you never, you know, people with high strengths never think of it as like, oh, it's like passive perception. You have to or perception. You have to worry about they see all my monsters. It's not like the guy with the high strengths going, I'm going to grapple everything. It's like, mm. no, I mean, you're going to hit it with your with sword. high strengths just break through bars if that's what they say they do. Like, yeah. I, I also use like passive athletics or passive strength or things of that nature, even if it isn't codified into the rules, just right. because, you know, it makes sense that someone really strong and there is no threat. You can spend more than six seconds working at the bars to break them. Yeah, so no. there's no reason that they can't do it. 
Unless, you know, something's breathing down their necks. Uh, the next thing is save or suck spells. So for those who don't know uh, the, the up-to-date lingo that I've been spitting. <laughs> Tell us for the old people like myself, Stephen. <laughs> so save or suck spells is kind of, I think it was more fran- uh, kind of themed out in third edition. Though it's definitely prevalent in first and second edition. Where basically you have this powerful spell, you cast it. The monster gets a save. If they fail it, they die. Fuck yeah. Or something bad, awful (laughs) happens. I mean, we saw this. I mean, we see this a lot with uh, first and second edition monsters like hags, where they hit you with their claws. You have to roll against poison. If you fail, you die. You die. That's character. One E was not about the game. It was about the the beauty of creating characters. (laughs) Because you did it a lot. (laughs) Uh, And so, like, if your players have save or suck spells, like they want to use it and. 5e has a way of countering that with legendary resistances, though it's something that I really don't like as a concept where you're just... Why not? I succeed. Kind of, It's just kind of like a feels-bad mechanic. You feel like it's for cheating? <laughs> uh, for, as the DM, yeah, it does kind of actually feel like cheating to me, where it's just like, no, I saw you cast that big spell. I know what it does. I'm just going to go ahead and say that it doesn't work this time. Instead of banning the spell, I just automatically succeed. And there's no re- rock recompense for you speaking of a week ago when we're recording this i made an action points homebrew system which i'll link where it replaces legendary resistance and instead gives monsters additional abilities that they can use their action points on including like re-rolling failed saves or adding bonuses to the saving throws to make it more likely that they'll succeed would you have an issue with instead of making it just an automatic legendary resistance maybe ha- was based more off of like a counterspell kind of thing where they, it, they had the opportunity to do it they could do it but there's a chance they couldn't i i would just avoid i i mean this is now a discussion about legendary resistance i would just rather have better prepared okay. encounters where yes the spell is really bad but I always keep an in, a minion in the background who has spellcasting and specifically not counterspell, but to spell magic. And I don't care what that minion does during the fight because I know really all they're there is after you do that save or suck spell and one or two rounds, depending on how debilitating it is on my main monster on my main boss that you cast it on. He's just going to cast his soul magic and try to get rid of that. I thought you were going in a different direction. I was like, so keeping a little minion in the back, and then you shoot a he's lightning a bolt monster. at him, and he's like, no, master, and dives in front of him. Meet shield I have made monsters with those mechanics where they take attacks for the bosses. But- Sorry, I, I like your option a lot better than mine. Oh, boy. Anyways, no, that and I, I, I makes sense. Or, like, maybe a big boss has a reaction where when they're targeted by a speller effect, then they can quickly shift places with a minion. Or they grab a minion within reach and, like, throw the minion in front of them. So, <laughs> so they're they... not the ones getting force caged. It's the minion that gets force caged. <laughs> Great. So the minion, it's a twist on my idea. I like it. Uh. Yeah. And so, like, you can do different things like that to, like, still let the saver suck spell happen, but it's not... Like, it doesn't just win the fight because there's nothing more frustrating than you get to, like, a huge campaign moment or, like, the end of a campaign and then someone just, like, pulls out Force Cage and there's no save against it. You just are stuck in a cage. You can't do anything. And, like, your boss is just defeated before they even get to do anything. Or you polymorph the creature into a uh, camel and throw him off the side of a cliff. 
Yeah, yeah, something like that, Chris. It follows you around. That seems like a completely random example. <laughs> it follows you, you around out. through the campaigns. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think that worked out. So, so the background is there was a dragon turtle. We've we've done the background this numerous times. I love it every time. Continue. Where uh, instead of a fun, exciting fight. The wizard actually, it worked out really well. You guys actually planned really well. You guys like first banged it, you grappled it in place. Uh, the wizard then cast polymorph, and then the barbarian came over, grabbed it, and like chucked it off a cliff. Yeah, because we're climbing a mountain, and it was like supposed to be this dangerous thing because it was a narrow area, and it was like it wasn't going to be a good situation. It was the one time we actually planned something out, and it worked out <laughs> amazing. Worked. But you know, like the savers suck. Like, like you know, I I could see that as like ah. Yeah. screwed over by that but what i did was i took that situation and then i just kind of you know had the dragon turtle then destroy their mode of transportation off the island and of course then they down. use spells to avoid that but that's okay because you know like i could still use that monster in different ways and i could still bring it up sometimes like you think you see a dragon turtle off in the in the oh. waters and it's just like nope we gotta sail faster that, that's a flaw in every single character i ever have now <laughs> flaw scared of dragon turtles i mean that's a good flaw to have but to your point that was a way that we made and that really wasn't a saver sucks spell but that was a way we made the situation and you made the situation fun mm-hmm. yeah it was a much shorter encounter i think than you were planning on yeah. and it was much less deadly than but if that was, it like was a enjoyable major, <laughs> yeah and like you know like that was kind of like a throwaway not necessarily a random encounter right. but kind of like a pre-planned random encounter if it had been like a big boss, then yeah, like, uh, then <laughs> it, well, it would have been by itself because my bosses always have minions because the, the action economy is always against them. But like, if it had been like a big boss, then yeah, like it probably would have had like a minion nearby to cast a spell magic on it, like after a round or two of it being a feeble little camel. You know, like I want players to still have that, like, like they're contributing, like the spell that they use. Yes, it's really good, but ah. Uh, the person was 120 feet back because dispel magic has a further range than counterspell does, which I use often to my advantage. And counterspell 60 feet. Great. <laughs> my character moves 10 feet back. Ah, now I'm 70 feet outside of your range. And I'm going to cast a spell magic and I don't have to worry about your counterspell screwing up my plans of uh, removing whatever save or suck spell you put on my monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking through some of those spells now. Imprisonment's not fun. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there, there there's a lot of spells Dominate out there like wall of force can be used to screw you over but i mean at that case you start attacking the ground mm-hmm. and uh you have your boss fall through the the stone floor and they land a uh, level below and you know your boss is still alive you got force cage which is a pain because it blocks uh all non-magical means of like teleporting out of there in which case you have a minion oh yeah of course that minion's always known to spell magic and you just kind of right on stat block dispel magic <laughs> once per day you don't have to do it. you can do whatever you want yeah um the, let's see i'm trying uh there's, power word kill <laughs> well power word kill at least then the players have fought long enough to reduce the monster to, to 100 to oh, 100 Lord. hit points or less in which case fine you just ended the encounter early but you still have all the minions you have to deal with or i'm trying to think of a uh, plane shift you can send monsters away early luckily that's concentration and so now all of a sudden all the minions then just focus their attacks on the wizard yeah and go after them but it's funny because i mean that is the closest you get to that i'm looking through power word kill is you don't see the word 
dies a lot. You know, mm-hmm. like when you spell, it's like, okay, it's dead. Yeah. That was, I mean, to your point, that we make fun of that a lot in our deep dives where it's like the creatures are just like, yeah, hey, players, and if you don't make your save, you die. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's flat out, and that's really one of the only times well, I've seen it. In what here. I appreciate about Power Word Kill's design is <laughs> that you actually have to work to get it. Or you are so powerful that the thing you're using against isn't a challenge anyways. Right. If something already has less than 100 hit points and you're throwing against your party who have access to ninth level spells, like, yeah, like, they're not going to stand a chance anyways, so it's fine. Um, I, Unless it's the Tarrasque. I like Saber Suck spells where they actually have to work to get to a, a certain point. And, you know, Plane Shift, it's kind of okay because you have to move up into melee. You have to touch them. You have to, I, I think it's like a, a attack roll maybe plus a saving throw. It's like, you know, like you had to put through a little bit of work. You're also concentrating on this. So great. I'll just hit you a couple of times until you fail your concentration check and we'll have a good laugh about it all. There's ways to avoid saber suck spells. And, and also like, if you just don't want to deal it, th- deal with it, then you can just tell your players like, Hey, these spells aren't a lot at the table, right? I won't use them against you and you guys won't have access to them. So it's, you're even the playing field. It's not you guys don't have access to them, but all my monsters still have force page yeah, or prismatic fair. spray or, or, or whatever spell you want to get rid of. Like if you ban certain spells, it should also apply to your monsters. That, that's fair enough. Um, spinning off that for a second, and this only deals with higher levels, which you know we've talked a lot about, like in early characters where they're sometimes maybe manipulating an advantage to to help in the beginning but i think it translates into later there are things that you can do that just even at a higher level like even in like 18 19 you know levels that just take your character and unbalance the party let's say not against not the monsters but you can also make your character so powerful that now the party's not balanced now the the it it Encounters aren't fun because this one person can do so much that everybody else is just like, okay, why are we here? Uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go search the room for treasure while they're killing the monster. Maybe I'll find something and not share it. What was the clone with? Oh, uh, uh, similar acrum. Yes, similar acrum. Basically, gives you two wizards to play with, mm-hmm. and that can be you know frustrating for the other players because it's like, well, now they get two turns. Yeah, and, and they get to do level. all the things. Yeah, I'm casting, you know, hey, we're going to drop Media Storm and then just fuck around with my other guy. And everyone else is like, awesome. Yeah. I mean, in similar Akram, it'd probably be like one of those where it's like, if I was going to ban things, like that might be up on the list just because I think it provides too much, too much oomph to whichever player gets it. But I mean, that's also brings us, I mean, that's an entire different con, uh, conversation about martial caster disparity yeah but i mean looking at if there's one player that's just like dominating everything and it's kind of ruins the fun because you have to make encounters harder but it's trouncing all the other players then maybe it's time that you just talk with that other player and be like hey the table is losing its overall fun can we see about maybe readjusting how something works or removing this one magic item or Maybe even just coming up with a new character because the table's fun is more important than a single character's or a single player's fun. And so, you know, like at that point, just kind of be aware. But also, like, maybe they are really, really strong at this one specific thing. Very true. 
And at which case, maybe you need to look back through your encounters and figure out, are you doing the same thing over and over in mm-hmm. your encounters? In which case, you should start mixing things up. You should start doing other things. Look at everyone else's character sheet. See what they excel at and start bringing in those encounters. If there's someone who's really, really good at skills, we'll start bringing in skill challenges because then they can start shining. If there's someone really, really good at uh, disabling traps, throw in a couple of more traps. If there's someone really good at fighting undead, throw in some undead. Yeah, maybe the 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 lordling that you have as the big bad made it uh, has contracted a necromancer. Yeah, you know, like look look at your encounters because it might not be that player's fault. It could just be how you designed your encounters. Yeah, they just and they just learned how to counter it. They're they're that good for them, right? I mean, that that's hey, they're using you know whatever logic they can to figure out how to you know be Mm. the best that they can be. So you touched on something else, and this I think is a lot more in a DM's direct control but magic items mm-hmm. um, yeah well uh, i think this will be the last thing we talk about yeah. for, for this uh this episode but magic items are they are under your direct control and unfortunately we have rarities for magic items but that doesn't mean anything there are some right. rare items that just suck compared to like uncommon items there mm-hmm. are legendary items where you're like i'm pretty sure this is just rare but it's legendary because it has a fancy name attached to it yeah it's an old school weapon that didn't get up that didn't get the upgrade it needed to continue its mm-hmm. status in the later editions yeah. and so you know like that kind of goes back to previous like you can either talk with the player be like hey when i gave you this magic item i didn't realize how uh overpowered it was can we either trade that magic item in for something else or maybe have like a, a campaign moment where it loses some of its power, or uh, we pull back the DCs on its spells, or we increase how much each spell costs for the charges, or something like that, where you can kind of balance that while not taking it away from them. Right. And like, really, players should also keep in mind, you know, like, just because they're having a lot of fun with this one magic item, if their DM is miserable because they gave out this cool loot, Cut them some slack. It's a lot of work DMing and dealing with players and things of that nature, and like trying to make oh, sure we're annoying as fuck. Fun and, yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're annoying as hell. I but also anti magic field is a fun spell. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think one of the things I think that you've done to counter this issue, not that we really everyone had gets op magic items. Yeah, no, and we all get them. Is a lot. A lot of times we you create magic items for us. The uh, our big item, at least in one or two of the campaigns, we would all we all worked towards our big artifact item that we got to carry. Everyone had that special thing that that they found that you know, awesome. It was mine. They were they were cool, but they all had specific abilities beyond like yeah, it's a plus three, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can make... do X, Y, and Z with it, but it wouldn't work in every situation. And they had little flaws, like it would fucking sing pirate songs to you all the time. I don't know that's a flaw, Chris. <laughs> well, in your head. <laughs> so, I don't see that's a flaw, Chris. And you smelled like fish. But I mean, it was I don't see that. <laughs> oh, no, I get that one. <laughs> but, it was, uh, but it wasn't like, oh, the powers it had could be used in every situation. Like the weapon we're talking about, the one you gave me, it, it had the ability to basically send out a, a mini tidal wave. It's not going to work in all places. Or it is going to work, but you're going to do basically what players do with fireball, and you're going to hurt your own side. you got to think it through. And a lot of your items were built that way so that you could use them and use them fun and use them 
every so often, not all the time to end an encounter. And everybody got the play, and you were at least cognizant enough of the items that you gave people to build scenarios around that so people had fun with it. Yeah, them. and your tidal wave was a once-per-day ability. Right. And I tried to ensure that, you know, I didn't have six to eight encounters every day. Sometimes I only had one, but I tried to make sure that there were at least two or three encounters that they could deal with um, in a given day. That You know, I didn't always accomplish that just because, I mean, at <laughs> level 18, how many encounters can I have of, well, like, powerful monsters plus the fact that what should be you know a 20 minute encounter takes two and a half hours with us so but uh but no i think you know to your point limiting the magic items to yeah your superpower can happen once every 24 hours is smart you have to take a long rest you know it's not you i mean that was a problem with older magic items you just got to hit shit with it all the time and do the same thing over and over again. There was no limitations. Well, so. and, and I liked what you said about flaws because I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, like if you're giving out a magic item to a player and maybe you're not quite sure about its power level, throw a flaw on there. You know, not something that's going to make them not want to use it, but like... It eats your soul every time you use yeah, it. Yeah, or, or maybe not necessarily that, but like they take damage every time. Yeah. They they have to use a specific ability. Like, they, like, for whatever reason, the sword only works if you power it with your own blood. And so you have to take damage that you can't uh, reduce mm-hmm. in any way. And then you get to power up your ability. So, yeah, they're going to use it at full hit points. Maybe not when they're at head <laughs> hit points. Definitely not when they only have, you know, five hit points yeah. remaining. Or they yell Leroy Jenkins first. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, so, you know, like I like that idea for like building in flaws to magic items, especially ones where you think they might be a little strong and, compared to what everyone else has. And I'll stop after. One of the things that I did when I was doing uh, the family and friends campaign I was running during COVID with, you know, my all the relatives out of town was during character creation, and we all created some different characters here and there because we ran a couple of different things. We used a flaw chart. Part of the creation, and it wasn't the flaw chart that was in, you know, that's in the back of the player's handbook where here's your ideals, here's your X, Y, and Z. No, it was an actual flaw, and it was on a D100 chart. And yeah, I I mean, there were a couple really mean ones on there, and some of these were kids, so it would just be like, yeah, re-roll. But there would be, you are, you know, your eyesight's bad. Your the your uh, ability, your ranged ability is now knocked down by twenty feet. Something simple. Some not nothing horrible. Called out. Yeah, you have bionic eyes now. Shut up. Um, there were things like that. Like you know, there were a lot of sensory things. Like you know, you don't have really good hearing. You know, it affects you know anything that has to deal with uh, you know. It's the opposite. Checks based yeah, off it's the opposite of keen, you know, keen hearing. Little things like that. That yeah, they don't make it all better, but they do put it. They to me, they balance it out a little bit more. It helped balance some of those issues we've talked about out a, a little bit more. I don't know. Anyways, so yeah, so uh, we've just given you probably about an hour of way to fuck over your players. Thanks. I appreciate this topic today, Stephen. Oh, wait. Sorry. Um, but I agree. No, as a player, it's no fun when, because a lot of times the things that we're talking about here don't just affect an, a DM. They affect the rest of the players at the table, too. Yeah. And, and I don't want to be mean to players that are doing this. Yeah, they're taking the time and doing the research and building the best character that they can. But they have to factor in that by doing that, how are they affecting the rest of the table, the DM and the the, the other players? Is yeah. there- Some character players are like lost causes when they don't care about everyone else's enjoyment, in which case 
you do have to have a, a serious think down, maybe talk with other players and, you know, maybe kick out the problem player. Yeah. And some of the players... <laughs> Some of the players do this, make these crazy players, and they get bored because they have so much fun creating them. And like, they go to you and they're like, hey, I want to try a new character. It's like, dude, your character's so amazing anyways. What? Uh, it's all right. I want to try this out. <laughs> Pretty sure I can get one more point of damage in there. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. It always makes me laugh because I'm always, I've seen that a lot. And I'm always just like, why would you get rid of that character, man? It's freaking awesome. You've built it so amazing. And then they just want to do something else because they have this idea to make another amazing mm. player. It's like... I'm hard. I have a hard enough time figuring out where to put my last point on my point pie. <laughs> so, thank you uh, for joining me today, Chris. Because mm-hmm. this is my podcast. Yes, and but you're in my house, so thank ah. you for joining me. <laughs> well, uh, thank you to the listeners for joining us. Uh, if you enjoyed this, make sure you support us on Patreon. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm not going to try it because I already forgot what our Twitter handle At is. Stat underscore dump. Okay, sure. Uh, and of course on our blog which there'll be links to all of the articles and stuff we talked about today Mm -hmm. Uh, also if you uh, want to check out our deep dive series but don't like reading you can go to youtube um, on our channel and we have uh, a few we're getting to add some more of our uh, deep dives in audio format Um, so you can check that out there